No small stir. I thought Northfield was a crazy place. Owatonna's turned out to be a little crazier than I thought. Yeah, why not? Must have been something I said. All right. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Father, Lord, please bless us now as we look at this here tonight and just, uh, Lord, examine these scriptures and see the lessons that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Paul the prisoner, the revealer of mysteries. You know, the first thing we notice here in verse number one is that Paul reminds them of his calling and his ministry focus. I think he's setting up, he's going to explain to them some things, and he reminds them of why he's there, like where he's at. Paul, he said he's a prisoner of the Lord, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. He's talking to them in Ephesus. Obviously, it applies to us, too, in that sense. But, but he's talking to those in Ephesus. And he's saying that he's a prisoner of the Lord. These are the prison epistles. They are written from prison. Paul is in Rome. He is in prison. And we're going to go back into our Acts study a little bit and, and, and talk about that just for a minute here and remind us of the timeline of where this is in Acts, in the book of Acts, where Paul was in prison and where he's writing this epistle. It'll all connect. It'll all make sense because all the epistles are written uh, throughout the book of Acts, okay? And, and there's different times that they're written. Here, it's, it's when he's in, in prison. But Paul wanted them to know that he was being persecuted to bring them the gospel. It was for them, it was for the gospel, and it was for the Lord. But it was for the Gentiles that they might have the gospel. Paul was not a convicted criminal. He was not a thief. He was not a convicted murderer, a malefactor. He was simply a gospel preacher that he was put in prison for the gospel's sake. So now we have to go back and look a little bit here. He says, for you Gentiles, turn to Acts chapter 21. We're going to see where, when we did our study on Acts, which we finished like a year ago, right? Somewhere around then. Acts chapter 21, verse number 27. Remember when he goes into, when, remember when he goes into the temple and he purifies himself and, he, and he's going to do all that? Remember that in verse 26? Then Paul took the men and the next day purifying himself with them entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification. Until that, an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen, they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus and Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Now, you see? So Paul, when he points to them and he says, 
I'm a prisoner of the Lord for you Gentiles. That's why. That's what he's talking about. He was, for this particular act that he had done here, there are false accusations against him while he was preaching in Ephesus, while he was pastoring in Ephesus, and he was preparing that church while he was there. They used that against him. And then when they, when they arrested him and took him to Rome, when he was, or, or when he was in the temple, that's when they seized him in Jerusalem, right? So they seized him and took him, and then they're going to take him to Rome and put him in prison for it. That's what happened. This is the account. So he says, For you Gentiles, because he preached the gospel to the Gentiles, which the Jews forbid, that they might not be saved, and because he taught them that circumcision and the rest of the ceremonies of the law were nothing binding upon them, which gave great offense to the Jews who were the means of bringing of him into these circumstances, and, the, and particularly the Asiatic Jews, those Jews of Ephesus, who have been seen and heard him there, knew him again when he was in the temple at Jerusalem and raised a mob upon him, having bore a grudge against him for his ministry at Ephesus, by which means he became a prisoner so that he might truly say he was a prisoner for the sake of them. See, so that was by John Gill. He was telling the story, what, what happened there? So Paul is there, right? Paul's preaching the gospel. That church has started in Ephesus. Paul preaches that, well, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. You don't have to keep these things to be saved. Uh-oh. Those Jews heard it, and they didn't do anything at the time because they were outnumbered. Because that church at Ephesus was big, and there was a lot of people there. And God kept Paul there for three years, remember? He said, no man will lay hold on thee. No man will touch thee. Well, God didn't say the same thing when he went to Jerusalem. <laughs> so he got to Jerusalem. What happened? Those men at Ephesus that watched him build that church for three years were ticked. So as soon as they got to Jerusalem and they went to Jerusalem and they saw him in the temple doing that, they were like, get him. Now's our chance. You could argue whether the fact that Paul should have done that or not, whether he should have you know, went in there and did that, that, and it, it appears here that no sacrifice was able to be made, if you notice this, because they seized him before it. I think that was maybe the Lord, okay, that caused that to happen that way. I'm not saying that Paul was in sin for that. I, I don't really know. I've looked at that a couple times. I, I just think it was he, was, he was being culturally acceptable to them. He was trying not to offend them as best he could, right, because he was a Jew, he is a Jew. You know, he was a Jew at that time uh, also. So it's an interesting situation, but you can definitely see uh, that God didn't let that whole thing play out the way that he thought. God used that. You understand that? God used him going in there to get him, that to get him to Rome so he could witness to Caesar and he could write these epistles. Why? Well, Paul, God had to set Paul down for a while so he could write. <laughs> Paul was a busy man. He was traveling all through Asia. He was going like this. What happened? God set him down in, in Caesar's house. goes, okay, you're going to jail for a while. Why? So you could write these epistles. That's why. Now, Paul didn't know that's why he was being sent there. He, he went there and started a church while he was there. But guess what? He wasn't touring. He wasn't running around. He wasn't, he wasn't planting churches all over Asia. Where was he? He was in Caesar's house. So what did he do? He had to write to all those churches. And he was writing the word of God. To them, so they would know how they ought to behave themselves in the house of the living God, uh, the pillar and the ground of the, the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So they would know, right? But remember this: Christ's servants, if they come to the prisons, are His prisoners, and He doesn't He doesn't despise His own prisoners. He thinks never the worse of them for the bad character which the world gives them, or the evil treatment that they met with in it. You know, people will, 
cast your name out. They'll call you names. They'll say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, Jesus said. He said it would happen. You're just shocked sometimes when it does. I've been shocked at times when it does. I'm not shocked anymore. I used to be. I'm not anymore because the Lord's brought me through a lot of things where it doesn't really surprise me anymore if somebody lies about me, if the next Jason Cooley exposed video comes out or somebody slanders me. or that. I'm not really that shocked about it. Like when Jacob told me about this guy that that says, well, I'm from where he's from. That guy don't know me. But, but, but him saying that and then him out and out lying and saying the things that he said on that, like he was bold a lot. Like that doesn't even, it doesn't, I just look at that. I'm like, huh, okay. Used to bother me, but then when God kills your image for you and he just like slays it right in front, then you don't, then you just look at it like, oh, okay. Yep. All right. What's next? Time to move on. Gotta keep going. Yeah, but they lied. Yeah, I know. All men are liars and God's true, right? That's the way it goes. You just have to keep going because you can't get stuck in that. You can't let that stop you. The thing that I look at is God's never let any of them harm me at all. <laughs> he's only used it to correct me, but he's never let them harm me at all. He's never let them destroy me. I've just kept moving on. Amen. I thank God for that. You know, when the world puts a bad character on you, lies about you, I'm like, is the world really supposed to like what I preach? If they do, don't you think there's something wrong with that? If the world likes this church, if it's on the top 100 list of churches or 1,000 uh, list of churches in America of that people like, don't you think there's a problem with that? Like Paul Washer said, you know what the problem is? Nobody wants to kill preachers anymore. That's what the problem is. I agree with him. Nobody wants to kill them anymore. They do me sometimes, but hey, <laughs> amen. But, right? They're mad at you. I wish your mother would have aborted you. Well, that wasn't very nice. I'm going to tell my mommy on you. That's the wrath of Linda's going to come on you. <laughs> right? Hey, she's 4'10", but she packs a wallop. I think she's 4'9 now. She's lost a few inches, but uh, anyway. But I just, I just laugh about that. I'm like, really? I'm glad my mom didn't abort me. <laughs> you weirdos. But you know, they're, they're going to do that. Just like they did to Paul. They lied about him. Like Pastor Hogger told me years ago, if they can't tell the truth about you, they got to lie about you. They just have to. Because if the gospel's true and it's right, and it's then guess what? They either accept it or they reject it. So for Paul, they rejected it and they hated him for it. He says, for you Gentiles, though, the Jews persecuted and imprisoned him because he was the apostle of the Gentiles. And he preached the gospel to them. We may learn, hence, says one, that the faithful ministers of Christ are to dispense his sacred truths. However disagreeable they may be to some and whatever they themselves may suffer for doing so. You, you have to, no matter what. I, I, I've learned that as I've, as I've pastored over the years that, you know what, you just got, no matter what happens, you just got to tell the truth. You just got to deal with it. You got to tell, man, you, you, you might be put on the chopping block for it. You might, you, you might, you're going to be slain in the court of public opinion for it. Like, you're never going to win. You will never win a PR battle in this world. Jesus didn't win it. You ain't winning it. Right? Did Jesus win the PR battle? No. What'd they do? They slew him in the public relations department, didn't they? Why? Because the world hates Christ. 
because the world is antichrist, so they're going to slay you. They, they won't, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. And, and preachers have to remember that. That's, that like that's, that's the way it's going to be. As the world waxes worse and worse, it's going to be that way. It's important to remember that Paul never, never allowed himself to be a victim of circumstances. He never saw himself as a victim of circumstances. You ought not live your life as a victim of circumstances. Like, well, these are, this is the circumstance that I'm in, and I'm, I'm just, I'm victimized by them. I'm not victimized by anything. People can lie. They can slander. We can, we can be in a bad position. We can be in a bad place. We can have all these things happen. We can be thrown in prison, but we're not victims. How are we victims? We're not. Doesn't God know where we're at? If God allows it to happen, doesn't he? Hasn't God allowed you to be in the position and the place that you're in right now, the situation that you're in? We're not victims. Paul never let himself be a victim of circumstance. He didn't sit there in prison and say, well, I preached the gospel and, and, and God, God failed me and threw me into jail. God let me get thrown into jail, so God must have failed me. Why? God wanted you to be there for you to learn something for some reason, for his purpose. Right? That's, that's the Christian life. Your, situa- your circumstances don't determine your, your faith. They don't determine your walk with God. They may prove your walk with God because God may use them to try you. Just like Abraham, when God said, Abraham, take your son, your only son. Take him right now and take him up to Mount Moriah and stick a knife through his heart. Right? Wow. What did God do? God tried him with a blessing that he had given him. He tried him. Paul was being tried. He was being tried in prison. Here he is. I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. I'm supposed to be preaching to the Gentiles, and I'm in jail. So what did he do? He preached to the Gentiles in prison. And he started a church in Caesar's house. We as children of God should never be victims of circumstances. We are actually above all those things. We go through those things. We are tried by circumstances. But all of these things are the trying of the faith. If you ever lose sight of the fact that God uses circumstances and situations to try you, then you will quickly become victims. You'll quickly see yourself as a victim. It's a very dangerous place to be. Acting as if you're a victim or seeing yourself as a victim of circumstances in whatever, you're, in whatever situation you're in. That's a dangerous place to be. Why? Because you'll feel sorry for yourself and you'll have self-loathing and you won't grow and you won't learn the lessons that God has for you. Paul wasn't whining about being in jail, about being in prison. He was writing to the Ephesians and he was reminding them that he was in jail for the gospel's sake. And for you Gentiles, so he could preach the word of God to you. And that was to give them courage, to encourage them to continue on. Because if I trust the Lord and I'm in prison, then you can trust the Lord in liberty and you can do the will of God. That's what he was saying to them. That's how he was encouraging them. It was meant to be encouragement to them. To understand that no matter what their circumstances were, no matter what they were facing, that God was with them, right? James chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. 
James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes, which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You know, you need to be reminded of that often because you forget that. You think somehow your, that, that life circumstances have nothing to do with the trying of your faith. How is that? How is that that, that you and I can so easily forget that life circumstances are always a trying of our faith? That's all of it is. Whether you will trust God through what you are going through. All of it is a trying of your faith. You're, you're Christians, aren't you? And then if you're Christians, then what does that mean? That means that God tries his own. He tries you. He's trying you with the circumstances that you're in right now. They're not for naught. They're not for, for no end. They don't just happenstance. They just don't happen randomly. They're a trial of your faith. That's what they are. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Paul saw himself as a prisoner of Christ. It was part of his mission. Do you see trials and things that go on in your life as part of your walk with God? Or do you see them somehow uh, arbitrarily different than your walk with God? Like somehow they're not part of your walk with God. That is a strange way to look at the Christian life. Because if your life is dead and hid in Christ, then everything, is, everything that you go through is a trying of your faith. Paul knew that. He understood that. He tried to teach that. Whether those are internal struggles or external struggles. Whether they're internal trials or external trials. They're all a trying of your faith. First Peter chapter 1, verse number 5 through 7. You know, Paul, he just understood he was just following orders. If my orders take me to jail, then they take me to jail. Like that lady just could not understand today that, that what I do, I do out of obedience to the Lord. Oh, well, you're doing this so you could like earn heaven, right? So you could, I go, no. I'm doing this because I've been saved by grace. Good works are the fruit of salvation, not the root of it. Right? So you believe, because she asked, you believe in like more of like a works, a works salvation? I said, oh no. <laughs> no, no. Hardly. No. I, 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 I told her, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast, for he is workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I just kept quoting her scripture the whole time I was talking to her. I just kept giving her Bible. Right? Until she got sick of it. Right? Like Donald Trump got sick of winning, right? She just got sick of it. I gotta get sick of it. Just keep giving it, right? It's out of obedience. I live my life out of obedience to the Lord. Amen. That's, that's, what, that's what, right? That's what, we live out of, why? Out of gratefulness to the Lord for saving us and loving us. That's, to me, part of it, to me, is automatic. Like, 
I get up and it's, it's like my life. When I go to sleep, it's my life. Right? Christ is my life. That's, that's my work. He's, my life is his. It's not, it doesn't matter what I want to do. I don't get up one day and say, well, I think I'll do what I want to do. And that's the, if that's contrary to the will of God, well, I think I'll just go ahead and do that. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm sinless. I'm talking about my direction. My direction is not to disobey the Lord. I don't have a desire to do that. I may do that in sin. I, I'm not saying that, but, I, but my desire is not to do that. My aim is not to do that. My focus is not to do that. And it's not because I'm trying to please God by my good works in order to earn heaven. I am justified by faith in Christ Jesus alone. It is grace that justifies us. It is Christ alone that is the justifier of man. There is no other justification than Christ Jesus the Lord. I explained her. I said the, it's the atonement that pleases God. It's, and I, I, I mean, I, I just preached to her is what I did. You give me a chance to preach to you, I will. You can call me up all day long, I'll preach to you. That's what I seen it as. I don't care where you put it at. Go put it on the Jesuit, the, the Jesuit news organization. Put it there too. They won't leave it there very long, I can tell you that. First Peter chapter 1, verse number 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season... There are seasons of this. I think one of, the, one of the, the hardest things for Christians to understand is there are different seasons in their Christian walk. Every season is not the same. And when you look at, when, when you look at, uh, when you look at the seasons of your Christian life and you think that they're all supposed to be identical, they're supposed to be exactly the same. And when they change, when there's seasons of sorrow, when there's seasons of joy, there's seasons of, of uh, the Bible tells us to be instant in season and out of season, right? So, but, but people look at their Christian life and they think everything's supposed to be cookie cutter the same all the time. That's not the Christian life. Peter said, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, ye are in heaviness, through manifold temptations. That is many temptations. That word temptations is talking about trials. He explains that in verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Your life is going to be full of manifold temptations. Manifold trials. They're not going to always be the same. Life, many different trials. Why? Because many different, it's okay. If any of you have ever done any like weightlifting before, anything like that, you know that if you do different types of exercises, Johnny, you know what I'm talking about. If you do different types of exercises, right? Different type of lifts, different ex, you're going to work different things. And some guys, you could train and you're really good at, at this, and then you change the grip around a little bit, or you change your exercise around a little bit, and you find out, whoa, I'm working secondary muscles here that I'm not used to working, and they're not that strong, right? So I have to build my, I have to build muscle like that by doing different exercises, right? To test my body. The same thing goes for, for life's trials. Your faith is tried many ways. 
It's not always tried because there are weaknesses in your faith and your faith has to be tried and the dross has to be burned off of it. So there are times that there are different trials in your life and seasons in your life. And believe me, what God is putting you through, you through right now, you need. If you didn't, he wouldn't do it. Amen. Well, that's hard to accept. I know you're stubborn. Probably wouldn't be as difficult if you wouldn't be so stubborn. To think you know better than God and the trial that you're going through shouldn't be the one you're going through. That should be what Dave goes through, not what I go through. Did you give it to the guy with the ugly feet? Why do I have to have it? Right, Dave? Give it to the guy with the ugly feet. I don't want that trial. Make him go through it. He likes his toes being stomped on. Horses did it. His toes are flatter than thin crust pizza. Have you ever seen them? <laughs> Like the middle of them, they're big feet, and then they're just like flat in the middle of it. It's, it's weird. I'm like, put something on your feet, will you? Praise the Lord. It's revival there. Covered his feet. They, they're literally, I, I asked him one day, and I was right. I said, Dave, I looked down at his toes. I said, did a horse smash your feet? He goes, yeah. And he laughed. I'm like. Which time? Yeah. I'm like, and it looks like it. It literally looks like a horse smashed his feet, his toes. It's weird. Anyway, I don't know how I got to preach about Dave's feet, but people all over the world right now in like Istanbul, there's like three downloads and they know about Dave's feet. I don't, I, it's weird. But they, people all over the world, they know about your feet. I mean, in different countries, China, wherever they, they know about his feet. No MSG, they, they, but they know about your feet. Anyway, all right, but... The trying of your faith, right? Manyfold uh, temptations and trials. You're going to have that in your faith. Your walk with God is going to be tried. It's going to be tried. It has to be. And Paul is explaining that while he's talking about that. I know we're expounding a little bit more on that, but I think that God's people need to be reminded of that because we lose sight of that and we think that life is supposed to kind of just flow straight all the time like this. And it's really not. It's more like, you know, the raging river. That's, but that tests you. It tries you. And that's what's supposed to happen. But we have to understand that Paul knew that he was the prisoner of the Lord. Yeah, but the Jews grabbed him in Jerusalem, had Roman centurions grab him and take him to Rome. Yeah. Yeah, can you believe it? God actually delivered Paul out of the hands of the Jews that wanted to slaughter him by a Roman battalion that delivered him safely to Rome because that's where he wanted him. Now, you can look at that one or two ways. If you have a, a real bad negativity bias, you're like, look, that guy got delivered to the Romans and got sent to prison. Or you could say, that guy got freed from the Jews and delivered like on a pillow to Rome, right where God wanted him. It all depends on how you look at that. See, I look at it as, isn't that amazing? I mean, there were bands of men that were waiting to kill him. And God swooped in. God touched those soldiers to swoop in and grab and be like, nope, he's come with us. Now, that never ceases. That is a miracle. Right? But with all the busy noise going on, 
The Jews didn't realize it. They thought, oh, we finally got him. You didn't get him. God delivered him from you. You couldn't kill him. You wanted to, and God didn't let That approved you. The whole city can want to kill you, but if God wants you there, you'll be there. He said that in Ephesus. He told Paul that. Paul was, right. Paul was getting nervous. He was, he was thinking about leaving probably Ephesus because he had just left another place. Remember that? And he was in Ephesus, and God said, oh, you're going to be here for a while, Paul. Don't worry. I have many people in this city, Paul. You're fine. You just keep preaching. So Paul kept preaching. And God built a, a, a good church there. But Paul understood the mindset of serving the Lord. You and I need to understand that mindset. It's the same mindset that Christ had in John chapter 19, verse 10 through 11. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now what's he talking about? He's talking about the Jews. See, people like to have this argument, did the Jews crucify Jesus? Did the Romans crucify Jesus? And the answer is yes and yes. The answer is we all did. Jew and Gentile. We all did. That's the, the, they worked together. They conspired together. What? Yeah, don't, don't, don't you get it? They all conspired, just like they're going to do in the end times when Satan tempts the nations and they're all going to come together and they're going to war against Christ. It's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's the world. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's the whole world. There isn't anybody. Yeah, did the Jews get punished for it? Yeah, so did the Roman Empire. Where is it at? Not where it was. They got punished too, didn't they? You, people say, well, they speculate what was the fall of the Roman Empire. This was. This was. You laid your hands on the Son of God. This was the fall of the Roman Empire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was. What was the fall of the, the, uh, the Jerusalem Temple? This was. Jesus said it, not a stone of it would be left upon another. He said it was going to happen. And what happened? They had no place to do their sacrifice. Why? They didn't need it. They didn't want the Messiah. They didn't want Jesus Christ. They rejected him. He said, well, you're going to have a temple either. Because Titus is going to come. Remember, you, remember what you said? Remember what you Jews said? We have no king but Caesar. Okay, Caesar's coming in 70 AD and he's going to flatten this place. Y'all better get out of here. He warned them. He told them before he left, you better get out of here. You better leave. When you see this coming, you better get out of here. The Christians left. Like a million of them left Jerusalem. They all took off. They left. And a million Jews were slaughtered in 70 AD. A million. Not a one, they, they say, history says that not a one Christian was slaughtered in that. That they left. Why? Matthew 24. Because it talked about the temple. Now, there's prophecies in there that were more to 70 AD, but also in the future. So I'm not preaching preterism to you. I'm just telling you that that's true. It, it was there. I mean, it, it happened. Jesus told them that it was coming, that the temple was going to be destroyed. He warned them of that when he was here in Matthew 24. But remember, there's three things. He was talking about the future, too, and his coming again. So anyway, but uh, it was there. Acts chapter 2, verse number 23. 
he illustrates this same thing again in the service of the Lord. I'm trying to, I, I know we're only going on verse one here and we probably won't get much farther than that because actually we're going to get to seven and eight here for a few minutes because it goes along with the service of the Lord and the calling of God and the work of God on somebody's life when God is using them, okay? Which applies to a pastor, which applies to you, it applies to a Christian, whatever your, your, your position is. You need to remember that, that if you're a prisoner of the Lord, you don't have to worry about anybody else, right? The fear of man bringeth the snare. Acts 2.23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. That's talking about Christ. And it says here that he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. But those men are still wicked and they're still responsible. Do you see that, how that works? And you have the sovereignty of God and the will of man right there. You see both of them? Both, it's both there, right? Mm -hmm. Man's personal responsibility is still there. You can see it right there, plain as day, right? So see, Paul makes sure that everyone truly understood that he was the prisoner of the Lord, not of the Jews, not of the Roman Empire. Paul's not some bitter victim sitting in jail somewhere, you know, all sad and feeling sorry for himself. Paul's about the work of the Lord. He's still, he, he said, I'm a servant of the Lord. He's just as much a servant of the Lord as he's sitting in prison as he was when he was out there preaching everywhere. He, then nothing changed. He said in 2 Timothy 3.10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're going to be persecuted. You're, your name's going to be cast out. They're going to lie about you. All those things are going to happen. I mean, I think it's fitting that this, I'm, I'm preaching on this right now, this, just this week, that they, they put their slander pieces out there, right? And they say things like that. Why? Well, I mean, if they love the message, then I'd be Joel Olstein and I'd really want to die. Right? I mean, I would really hate life if I had to be Joel Olstein and walk around like a slimy little turd, right? Lying to people and deceiving people. Getting wealthy off people and taking advantage of people. She actually thanked me today, that woman that I didn't believe in the prosperity gospel. <laughs> she, was, she was happy I didn't believe in that. <laughs> yeah. But you see, these people, like Joel Osteen, like I said, the world loves them. I mean, they, they even have their crazies, right? But I mean, the, that's, that's the world for you. They hang out with demons, they get devils, right? They hang out with the devils, they get them. But these people, they shouldn't like your message. They didn't like Paul's. They threw him in prison for it. I always like it that they tell us to preach like Jesus, like we're trying to, but you, you get mad when we do. Why don't you preach like Jesus and the apostles did? We are. What? That's what we're doing. That's what we're here. We're trying to, but you keep telling us to shut up. Like they did Jesus and the apostles. Did we not straightly forbid thee? Right? That's what they said. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. I want you to look at that. We're going to zero in on this and then we'll, we'll finish up with this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. He says, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me 
who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul is talking about his calling here. He did not call himself. He is describing his ministry as the, as the prisoner of the Lord here. He was made a minister. He did not call himself. He did not choose his calling and he did not equip himself. I have seen many men try to enter into the ministry that tried to equip themselves that did not have the call of God on their life. Guess what? They're gone. They're not in the ministry today. They're not pastoring people today. Why? Because they weren't called of God. Who he calls, he equips. And he gives them the endurance. He breathes into them endurance of life to continue on and to do the work that he's called them to do through everything. It's a, when you behold that and you watch that over years and you take a look at that and you watch what God does with the man, how he keeps him going, you look and, and, and I, had people, I remember when I went through struggles seven, eight years ago, people asked, is pastor going to come back? And Lee's like, oh yeah, he's a thick head. He's stubborn. He's, he's definitely coming back. I was gone for about three weeks, man. I was like, <laughs> I was all over the place. But it's God that breathes. I told you God gave me a forehead harder than their forehead. It was a gift of God. I, and I believe that. He gave me a, for, a forehead harder than their forehead. He said, don't you be afraid of their looks, though they look ugly at you. Don't, don't you be afraid of them. You just kind of snarl back at them and just keep going. Right? Don't, don't be afraid of their looks. Don't be afraid of them. You just, you just, you preach. You do what I called you to do. See, Paul didn't call himself. He didn't equip himself. Paul's ministry was according to the gift of the grace of God given unto him by the effectual working of his power. It is God's work. It is God's power that keeps a man. Oh, it is. I, I can tell you that from experience, that it is God shows you that. And if you ever forget that, God will remind you of that. Just like he showed me years ago that it's, it's him that keeps me going. It's him that breathes into me life and endurance to continue the race and to keep going. Amen. What is this? This is that serving grace. It is the grace to serve, to be able to serve the Lord. It is the gift and calling of God and the ability and the enablement that God gives for that calling. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me. Paul said, as a wise master builder. He said that. He said in 1 Corinthians 3.10, he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He knew that it was God that gave him the strength to do what he did. I hear people say those things. They say, I, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you deal with that. I always look at them and tell them it's the grace of God. That's what it is. That's how they say, I, don't, I could never do that. Well, you weren't called to do it. That's why. If you tried to do it, it'd be really bad. You shouldn't try to do it. <laughs> if God didn't call you to do that, if God, God, who he calls, he equips to do that. And if, and if he hasn't equipped you to do that, boy, you're going to be in trouble. Because you're going to go out there and you're going to find out that you don't, have, you, you don't have the power of the Lord, right? For that, for that particular duty, that is, to do that. He says, by, by the grace of God, I am what I am. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he said, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Excuse me, that's uh, uh, um, Ephesians 4, 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure 
of the gift of Christ. God gives that grace in measure according to the measure of the gift of Christ. It's what he gives you to serve. That's what he gives, uh, gives you to be able to do what you can do for the Lord, to, to follow the Lord and to be able to serve the Lord. It has to be God, because if not, you're going to fall. You won't be able to. It's God that holds you up. It's God that keeps, that, that keeps the preacher going. It's God that gives him that. I see, Paul said that, uh, let's see, I already read that. Oh, let me read that verse to you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But, he, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul said that he labored more abundantly than they all. Why? Because God gave him that measure of grace. That's why when people look at his ministry, like, how did Paul do that? Well, Paul told you how he did. He did it by the grace of God. He knew what he was called to do, and he knew he had the power of God to do it, so he just kept going by God's grace. In Romans chapter 12, turn there, Romans chapter 12, he talks about the grace of God. He talks about serving grace, which differs according to one's gift and calling. Romans chapter 12. Yeah. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul is explaining that it's the gift of God. That's how. Paul had that effectual working power for his life and ministry. That's why he could do it. That's why he could do those things. This is why Paul could endure so much persecution. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you look at that. Verse number 23. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 23. He explains his apostleship and his ministry. He says in verse 23, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of mine own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils of the sea. In the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In watchings often. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often. In cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is offended and I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forever, more knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aratus, the king, 
kept the city of the Damascans with a garrison desires to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. He's talking about what God did in his life, how God worked that in his life. This is how he could live such an exemplary life so that he could say, follow me as I follow Christ. Because he went through so many things. He suffered so many things, but the grace of God was with him. And if a man can say that, I will tell you that he will get through many things if God's grace is with him along the way. He'll get through many things, things that you could never imagine that he would get through. Private things that no one even knows about that he goes through. Ah, it's, it's, I couldn't even explain it to you. Paul says, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Philippians 3, 17. He says it again, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example, ensemble. Philippians 4, 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says it again in verse 9. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensemble unto you to follow us. Paul wanted them to follow wisdom and be wise and follow his example of, of uh, his living for God and the suffering that he went through for the gospel's sake. At the same time, Paul's ministry was that of one who is less than the least of all saints. Paul's wisdom and humility. Elsewhere, he called himself the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He called himself the chief of sinners at times. He might have had made much of this superior knowledge, said one of the great revelation given to him, and he might have paraded a kind of an official pride as the apostle of the Gentiles. But the high calling, the mystery made known unto him, the blessed mystery given to him, produced far different results. It humbled him in the dust before God. It could not be otherwise. Grace, such wondrous grace is revealed through Paul, reaching down to such as we are, lifting so high with such an unspeakable calling and destiny, will ever humble us into the dust and give God the glory. Grace necessitates this. The more we know of the blessed mystery of God's masterpiece, the less we shall think of ourselves and delight to take the lowest place. Truth learned or knowledge gained in spiritual things which does not humble us makes us think less and less of ourselves is a dangerous thing. It ought to make you think less of who you are and more of who Christ is. Truth must ever break us down and lead into self-judgment and self-abasement. We take the truth and apply it to ourselves first. It humbles us. It causes us not to, not to, to take heed lest we fall. The truth causes us to examine ourselves instead of examining others and being critical of others. We're critical of ourselves first. God equips who he calls. He works in them a humility by service to him. So then the more they grow in knowledge and understanding, the more they grow to know themselves and see that they are nothing great. When you are a prisoner of the Lord, you are a servant of the Lord. And God shows you many things through his word. He teaches and guides and directs you. God gives his pastors also wisdom and guidance to do the work they need to do. People don't understand that sometimes. 
but that's what God does. He equips them. He calls them to the ministry, fulfills the work that in them that he has called them to do. And he will see it through to the end. He will keep them to the end. He will keep them until he is done with them and they will go home to be with him. Amen. That's the work that God does. That's the work that he does in the life of his, and in the life of his children. That's what he does in your life. He will, he will keep you to the end. He will strengthen you and he will, he will, he will equip you to, to, to fulfill the ministry that he has for you, for the work that he has for you to do. He will keep you to the end. He will keep you until he takes you home. He will use you until he takes you home. And he will guide you and he will direct you and he will fill you and strengthen you. But he will humble you. The more he shows you, the more you'll learn about yourself. Our capacity to love grows as we, as we think less of ourselves. Our capacity of love for God, when that grows, when we love God more, we think less of ourselves and more of others. We put others before ourselves, before our own comforts, our own desires, our own wants and everything else. We put others before us. We don't look to make ourselves comfortable, but we look to do what God would have us to do, what is right in His sight. We're not, we become less selfish, less self-centered and more Christ-centered and look to Him. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what God does with His people. That's what He does with His pastors and His preachers. That's what He did with Paul. He strengthened him through everything. And you watch Paul's life, and it was written for an example here for us to follow. So we look at that, and we watch what the Apostle Paul went through and how he lived, and then we see in the Christian life that we're going to have things like that that happen to us. We're going to have on a different scale and on a different level, but they are going to happen. And your faith is going to be tried, but you're a prisoner of the Lord. You belong to Him. And you have to remember that. That you're not your own, but you're bought and paid for with a price. That means what you're going through, God is trying to teach you through. He's trying to humble you to teach you the lessons that you need to learn so you can grow as a Christian and be what you need to be. That's as a mother, that's as a father, that's as a child, that's uh, as a single person or a married person, doesn't matter who you are, whatever the case may be, it applies to your life tonight directly. Wherever it is that you are, it applies to you. That's what God does for his own. That's why, that's why Paul talked about that in verse 7 and 8, that everything that he did in the ministry that he did, that God did that in him, God taught him that he gave him his effectual power to fulfill the ministry. And it takes faith for you to believe that. You've got to believe God by faith that God's going to fulfill that, his will in your life. Whatever it is that God has you doing. Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we just pray that you'd bless our church and bless our church family and help us, Lord, to walk with you. Help us to know that we may be the prisoner of the Lord and we may be in dire circumstances at times or trying of our faith at times, but Lord, you're with us. You fill us, you equip us. You're there to answer our prayers and to guide us through with your word and with the truth and through prayer and supplication. You'll give us wisdom through your word and guidance to get us through it and breathe life into us and endurance to keep going. Help us, Lord, as we run the race. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.